0: Hey, business owners, need help taking payments online? Well, there's a whole world of transactions powered by Elevon. Whether it's through payment accepting, customer connecting, real-time reporting, round-the-clock supporting, fraud detecting or business protecting. <gasps> Elevon supports all payments for your business. To get started, visit elevon.ie. Elevon, your world of payments. Elevon Financial Services DAC trading as Elevon Merchant Services is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.
1: The Big Tech Show brought to you by Elevon. Elevon makes payment taking simple, freeing you up to focus on your business. You take on the world, they'll take care of the payments. See elevon.ie for more. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Wacker, the tech editor of The Irish and Sunday Independent. This week we're going to talk about data privacy because I'm joined by Kilian Kieran, the co-founder of the New York-based startup, Ethica, which essentially is a company uh, with software to automate data privacy, making it easier to meet compliance obligations. Killian, you're very welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Adrian. Thanks for having me.
1: Right. First things first, We're, we'll get into what Ethica does and, and how it's, it's set up. But do people care about privacy in itself or just when it results in them losing something?
0: I think we have probably seen a tipping point over the last few years, which is an accumulation of what's happened with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, you know announced breaches for airlines, hotels. Um, and I think there's an increasing concern about it. I, I think it's fair to say that at this stage, some consumers or end users are more concerned about it than others. And I think there's confusion uh, both in business. And for end users of technology systems, as to what that represents for them and their personal data.
1: And I could say about this, the, ask the same question about businesses do they mm. care about privacy intrinsically? I, I see a lot of the marketing statements that they make, but really the only time that they really take action is either when they've suffered a major breach or there's something coming down the line with a heavy penalty. Um, that's essentially, I would have thought the market that ethic of the company that you're a co-founder of is going after, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. On, on the first point of how much businesses care, I think you've hit upon something really interesting, right? There's a sort of economic trend as it relates to compliance or regulation, uh, not just in tech, but I mean, whether you look at banking and finance or healthcare, uh, that effectively regulation is sort of a byproduct of a major corporate scandal. And there's a there's a host of correlations between these things and research in the space. So you're right, But by and large, businesses tend to react uh, on the foot of regulation, on the back of a scandal, it's somewhere in their industry. I think the the reality of the tech businesses, or let's say data-driven businesses at large now, which you could say is everything, um, is, is a realisation of the sensitivity of both the business processes that are being operated by technology, and therefore the data they're accumulating. And so regulation is coming very fast. And I think business' sophistication as to how much they care about that varies uh, with that specific organisation hugely.
1: Where do you think we are in terms of The balance between us caring about the likes of a data privacy breach and its effect on how we behave. Because a few years ago, I've been reporting on this for years, and a few years ago, Mm -hmm. if a big company had a data privacy breach, it would make, if not front-page news, it would certainly be the first part of the newspaper. People would talk about it. They talk about it on radio and TV. Now it has to be an absolutely ginormous breach for anyone really (laughs) to pay any attention. I mean, every day I see... Uh, companies, um, you know, um, you know, a million um, users may have had their privacy breached. It barely makes yeah. news anymore. And actually, even people looking at it or or hearing it, kind of ignore it and go, yeah, yeah, "Yeah, that happens every day."
0: Absolutely, I think that and that isn't that one of the great concerns with where we're going, right? First of all, is that the idea that privacy is connected to a breach, right? And they're not necessarily the same thing. Uh, And what I mean by that is the breach or the concept of a breach is effectively a compromise of some data within an organization. could be some user's personal information. And then there's the idea of maintaining a user's privacy, that is uh, structurally storing that information, managing it in such a way that it's not compromised internally. And that happens all the time Um, and, and is never announced as a breach. right? And those are just poor organizational processes internally, bad practices, bad technology, a combination of all of the above. Um, And and you're right that currently I would say that consumers are less and less concerned simply because it's happening all the time. Uh, But that's sort of like saying, well, plane crashes will happen more often, so we're less concerned about them. I think we should be very concerned about where we're headed. Not necessarily today, um, but in a decade's time, if really we allow systems, so whether it's process automation, machine learning, or AI, to make increasing decisions with the data that they collect, I would be very, very concerned about not having in place the right guardrails to manage the privacy of users. And of course, bear in mind that end users Um, aren't paid to understand the risks of how their data is managed by those companies. It's the responsibility of those organisations.
1: The plane crash analogy is an interesting one because the fear of a plane crash or being in a plane crash carries with it almost certain death or injury. Whereas Mm. sometimes it's not clear to me what the sensibility is among ordinary people, what the worst case scenario or even a typical scenario might be if their private their data privacy is compromised. I think a lot of people just walk around and think, well, look, my data is out there. Probably half a yep. dozen bad actors have it. Mm-hmm. Probably two dozen big corporations are either abusing it or using it to the edge mm-hmm. of legality, and I'm still mm-hmm. here and life goes on.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, I think... Again, we're at that inflection point, you could say, in terms of how data is mined or used, um, in relation to its effect, its effect or impact on the end user. So, a lot of what's happening right now seems reasonably innocuous. Aside from the hyperbole around Cambridge Analytica, most of it's about ad targeting or, you know, behavioural messaging. Uh, the, the challenge, I think, is we underestimate just how complex and sophisticated the compute power behind um, some of that data analysis can be now. Right? So, there, you know, you, you'll be very aware of this. There are readily available. Uh, toolkits for pattern matching for say, for example, early cancer screening in in images, right? You could do this with a camera from a phone. So the sophistication is pretty low tech at this point. And who's to say that that technology can't be cobbled together with a database of images scraped from the web under a Creative Commons license, and then assess people for um, early cancer propensity and for an insurance company to then refuse insurance based on those signals. Now, that doesn't happen today. But none of that tech that I've described there is outside the realm of possible, hmm. literally right now. Um, and I think that's the concern that we're racing towards. I have two young kids. Um, and when I think about where they'll be in 15 or 18 years' time as compared to where I was um, you know, at their age, 20, well, 35 years ago, um, the, the rate of change in tech. Uh, means that we have no understanding of what we'll be doing with that data in 18 years time, but the complexity or sophistication in in how we can mine it and the risks associated with that. And on the point of compromising your privacy, uh, Ireland uh, still relies reasonably on pretty solid paper trails, right? But I've been living in the US for a very long time. And as it happens, pure anecdote, about two weeks ago, my credit history was stolen Mm. for the first time um, and was compromised. And it's prevented me from uh, moving home, as it turns out, which has been a huge sort of really? problem for my family, how, as you can imagine. How, yeah.
1: How, why, why is it preventing you moving home? Uh,
0: because credit history uh, in America is the predicator for your ability to do anything. It doesn't matter what you earn, it doesn't matter what you're paid, where you live, your uh, academic background, some of those things are measured in somewhat. But ultimately, when it comes down to signing a lease or uh, getting a mortgage, your credit history is the first measure of anything. So if that's compromised in any way, You can't move, and also correcting an issue with your credit as it relates to a compromise.
1: So, so how did how did that actually affect you? Uh,
0: So, honestly, I I hadn't realised I'd been compromised until um, I was applying for a a new home and I got told that you mean a a mortgage, is it? I actually rent, and I was told I was turned down based on credit history. Yeah, Um, and so. Then What's that, that like? So it.
1: you're applying for, That's pretty sure. yeah, because yeah. I, I mean, there must be a whole range of emotions that go through your head when you're applying. You right. Know.
0: Well, I mean, it's a bit like being mugged, right, in the sense that you feel very unsafe all of a sudden, right? If you consider and how, you, you how quickly did
1: you it. twig that there, it was a there was something wrong, maybe, with your credit history that it had been compromised?
0: see pretty immediately. In so far as the, the US, it, well, the credit system here is, there's a lot of issues with it. But from a point of view, it's wiring, it's pretty well wired up to sort of third party tools that you allow you to monitor. So I logged in and was able to see um, that uh, several lines of credit have been opened on my credit history and uh, a number well, over the last sort of two years, um, and had affected my credit score effectively.
1: So what, what can you so, do about that?
0: <laughs> well, I, I, as it turns out, it, it can take up to two years to resolve it, and it's an entire legal process. Um but, but no, so not, not so you can't
1: you can't just um, present, you know, evidence to say that the, the the provenance of the data was compromised, and that's why you, there's a much longer process, is there?
0: The much longer process, and you hit upon the whole key of this, the provenance of the data is the very issue, right? There is no, uh, and bringing this straight back to privacy or how data is managed in any organization, there is, we, we do, we've assumed the sanity of pipelines of data for all time, right? Like from sort of engineering in, in guys' garages or bedrooms to today. And the truth is that isn't the agile process of software development. So data isn't treated like gospel. Um, and it's not monitored in that way. And so what I mean by that is we don't, you know, we don't have supply chains for data. We don't do what we do with the data for food. So we've no idea where it enters the system more often than not, or how it leaves it, or how many actors have touched on it. And so validating the sort of sanity and safety of the pipeline of any data in any organization is nearly impossible. So in the case of my credit, confirming, understanding how it happened and what the compromise was caused by is virtually impossible. So it's a, it'll be a sort of very slow task to unwind and figure that out before I can prove my um, my uh, my part in the, the whole problem. And
1: meanwhile, the place you're hoping to rent probably is gone.
0: Oh, that's long gone. I, I've, I've got to now go and uh, effectively get friends to uh, guarantee my ability to move. So, oh my uh, God.
1: I hope you have some right, good friends. Yeah.
0: I have some very very kind friends. Don't worry, that's okay. But but my my point in giving you that example is that we don't currently, for example, in Ireland, have a credit system in the same way. The UK is one, not not maybe as sophisticated as the US. Uh, many Asian markets operate entirely on credit systems, scoring systems like the US, and and that's a very small example of basically data driven decision making, right? And and it's entirely uh, quantitative, and, and that's it. Um, and and, and I think we underestimate how quickly we're racing towards a future where decisions are made based on data. And that's in all parts of life.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had uh, the CIO of AIB Bank in here about Mm -hmm. five or six weeks ago. And we got, got into this because one of the questions I asked him was, with all of the data that's out there, on customers and that you're able to probably Mm -hmm. grab from multiple sources isn't it unbelievably tempting to put all that together and come up with uh, new modeling uh, positions for your customers for a whole range of reasons and he kind of was upfront and said yes it is and he said for example um, even using things like facial uh, recognition Mm -hmm. incorporating all the other strands of data they have, if a customer walked into one of their branches, for them, it would be incredibly handy to know who that customer was, what their history was, um, what they might be interested in um, from their own uh, resource management point of view. And also, he was arguing from a convenience and utility point of view on the customer's part. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, w- I was asking him, you, you mean like a sort of a friendly minority report? And he was saying, yeah, sort of. Um <laughs> But but the, you mentioned your kids and the world that they will be in in 15 or year, 18 mm-hmm. years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Don't you think we're heading naturally, inevitably, toward those kind of functions and services because there's so much data and there's so many systems that the market craves a system where it's more efficient for businesses to do, to do, to do things
0: that way? So first of all, absolutely, and I am an eternal optimist for technology. I want to be clear about that. I want to see all of those innovations. That is my personal passion, right? To see that happen, but but that doesn't discount our ability to do that safely or within certain guardrails. So so your point about sort of scraping signals from the open web, I'm sure you saw the um, uh, reports over the last couple of months of that MS Celeb database, right, that was compromised or rather exposed as having been on the open web for the last few years, right? Mm -hmm. So that's basically an academic project by Microsoft to scrape people's photos based on a Creative Commons license. So they scrape uh, something like 10 million photos of 100,000 people. They place this on a server um, at Microsoft's offices and a duplicate server at a university in Boston. Um, uh, Available for academic use for anybody who wants to train uh, any sort of pattern recognition systems for facial recognition, come to find out a handful of years later that the database has been downloaded by everybody from probably the CIA right through to the Chinese military. Um, and they've been swiftly taken offline and there's been an apology issued and that's the end of it. But we forget that we're posting content into the public web on a daily basis um, and entrusting it to large organizations who've had questionable data practices, poor operating models, and not necessarily nef- like nefarious actors just bad behavior and bad corporate governance. Mm. Um, And we're entrusting them to continue to manage these systems for us.
1: Yeah, obviously, um, you announced your funding for Ethica, which is $4.2 million. Congratulations on that, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, You announced that last week, and that was the week that Facebook uh, announced that it had agreed to pay a $5 billion fine to Mm -hmm. USFTC and it may be facing further fines here in the EU. Our own data protection commissioner, Helen Dixon, says that there's a signal that she's going to have a few judgments um, coming Mm -hmm. down the line against Facebook and other big companies uh, later this year. Um, But that is presumably one of the companies that everybody's attention is on when it comes to using or abusing, whether it's by Mm -hmm. design or by mistake. But the case of Facebook maybe you could be used as a proxy for a lot of big companies and corporations because even though they say that a lot of this abuse of data is purely because they've moved so fast and broken things, um, others take the view that it's by design that you can't actually build a high-growth web company unless you cut corners on data privacy.
0: I mean, that particular statement makes me very nervous and obviously I've heard it as well. I think... uh you know, as much as I'm a proponent of technology, mm. uh, I don't think that's at the <laughs> compromise of good corporate governance. I think within the tech community over the last decade and a half, the sort of the cult of venture-backed entrepreneurship has grown so aggressively um, that there's an idea that the only way to build a business, as you say, is to move fast and break things. Mm. Um, well, I and, mean, for Facebook,
1: would... let's be honest, it's worked. I mean, for $5 billion is an awful lot of money to most people. For Facebook, it's not that it's much a drop money. In the ocean. You know, it so so there's a whole and most of the most trenchant critics I saw uh, on that decision and on Facebook generally thought it was a massive win for Facebook.
0: Uh, absolutely, I think everybody here was very disappointed that it was ultimately a sweetheart deal by the yeah. FTC, uh, like a Republican-run FTC. Um, and I, I would hold the same view. I think it's very disappointing. I think it's a strong signal to the industry, but for Facebook, it's hardly even a wrap on the knuckles. Mm. Uh, but just, just to come back to that point of. Um, sort of culture and behavior as it relates to privacy. I think if you look at other regulated industries, um, you know, the starting point for banking regulation was obviously the the top tier banks, right? Um, And again, regulation, all of the data points, the fact that regulation tends to be uh, a a knee-jerk reaction response to a specific scandal. So it's imperfect by its nature because it tends to try and um, effectively remediate a past scandal rather than plan very well for the future. And there's a, a whole ton of research about the fact that actually regulations don't always capture the issues that might occur in the future which is one of the challenges that we see in banking or healthcare um i think to the point of tech in particular the challenge here is it's it, it's a cultural shift that's needed in an industry that hasn't been regulated before so if you consider the whole sort of the lovely myth of guys working in the garage building products in the 80s. Uh, back then, it's games and calculators and relatively low-fi infrastructure. And it, it, in a strange way, quickly but very quietly spreads throughout society. And so far as it starts to underpin the fabric of infrastructure that we operate, whether it's air traffic control systems, banking, uh, right through to media, uh, politics, etc. And we end up where we are today. But at no re- point in that journey, was it heavily regulated? So the industry didn't develop good behavior or good practices and, and as a whole, I think the industry shocked that it's being asked now to be regulated, mm. um, but it's not going to recede. I mean, as sort of da- let's not just say data, but as technology enabled services and systems become uh, more commonplace, it's an inevitability that we would regulate them.
1: Yeah. I mean, before we came on this call, um, you're you're talking to me today from New York. It's early morning there, by the way. So thank you very much for uh, getting up and doing that. Um, But we were going to talk on WhatsApp audio. When we do calls online, we often do it on WhatsApp audio because it tends to be slightly more reliable. Hey, -hmm. hey, by the way, tip to podcasters, uh, WhatsApp audio is slightly more reliable than Skype, for example. We're on Skype now, but the reason we're on Skype is because you um, said you don't have WhatsApp and you said there's a variety of reasons you don't have it. Now, we we didn't get into Mm -hmm. it, but may I ask, Mm -hmm. is that related to your uh, issues with the way Facebook does privacy or, or are
0: there other reasons? The short answer is yes, but I'm very conscious that I'll uh, I'm I instantly expose myself by admitting that I have an Instagram account, for example. So mm-hmm. I'm very, very aware that they have more than enough data about me, but I choose not to participate in the other systems that they offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know the whole end-to-end encryption piece with WhatsApp, understand its penetration and, and the use by everybody on the planet. Um I, I, ch- I would prefer not to support another service from Facebook. Yeah, it's, a, it's purely a personal decision. It's mm. not a belief that they're listening to me or anything else. It's simply a personal choice not to not to use more of their tech.
1: Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing that you're entirely justified. You are not missing out with all the nonsense in the WhatsApp groups from the community <laughs> organizations and parents groups and school and this and that and old school friends. and And, and then also all the defamation, the libel. It's absolutely incredible yeah, what uh, people yeah. feel that they can say on an end-to-end encrypted service in a group um, about mm. someone or about something uh, and right. get away with there's,
0: it. There's, yeah, exactly. They're a little safe space. I mean, here in the tech community in New York, I've been shocked at how many people use Confide as an encrypted messaging platform. And mm. um, and and the things that get shared through Confide, I wouldn't expect someone to say to me in person or ever, mm. um, and that blows my mind. Completely blows my mind. You
1: see, this so, is this uh, is the yeah. issue, isn't it? It's human beings. It's people. I mean, there's been a lot of talk uh, about social networks and online services and whether they're good and they're bad. And when the the wrinkle of uh, these services only really reflecting what human beings themselves do and think, the, the answer to that comes back, yes, that may be, but they're weaponizing those worst instincts. Um, yeah, and absolutely. I have some sympathy with with, with that view, because you, you will write or say things, you know, in, in an encrypted uh, way to somebody that you may not say to their
0: face. Absolutely, no question. And, and look, it reinforces the sort of, very odd echo chamber i'm sure you watched the great hack already adrian um
1: i haven't seen it yet actually
0: uh, oh interesting uh, so I, I only watched it myself two days ago mm-hmm. and um i won't spoil anything you already know but um it's just fascinating to see reinforced the sheer volume of data that was collected on users yeah. and how it was effecti- effectively weaponized right that that is the word that was used it was weaponized in in some use cases in small sort of island states to sway elections mm-hmm. in ways that are just unvaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, so,
1: yeah. I do think it's useful that we're having that debate. We're, we're not going to go down this rabbit hole, but um, I have said many times before in this podcast that uh, the more and the deeper the analysis of how social networks mine data for you know to, to use mischievously in elections uh, is welcome, not least because it brings a comparison with traditional media, of which I am you know, a paid member and its practices, like I, I've said many times, I really do wonder whether who was more to blame for Brexit, for example, the Daily Mail or Facebook. And I don't think it was Facebook, frankly, you know, in terms of, you know, made up stories, but that's, that's a conversation for, uh, for another time. Um, a couple of other interesting things about you. You have a twin,
0: I do, an identical twin,
1: yeah. And I know because I interviewed him about a month ago, um, or rather... Uh, it's a
0: small world.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it was an off-the-record briefing. So he is uh, the Global Data Protection Officer at Twitter, uh, and he's and Irish, and, and he was over in Dublin. And uh, mm-hmm. but there was a few things I wanted to ask you, uh, not a few things, one or two things, because it's a data privacy thing. You now are both in the data privacy field, um, yes. essentially. Um mm-hmm have you have either of you tried fooling face id on the iphone and
0: <laughs> um, randomly this is totally random anecdotal knowledge we we both had very bad accidents on either bicycles or motorbikes so although we're very similar looking it doesn't pass we both got sort of bust up faces and oh, broken noses so okay so yeah so so it won't work um i think there's a time in life where it would have worked but uh mm. not today i've i i have um uh, female friends, twins, yeah. who are very, very similar. And, and they, they can unlock each other's phones if they move quickly over them. Wow,
1: so. yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, Apple did put out that warning when they launched Face ID. They yeah. said the only thing you could really fool it consistently is if you had yep. identical twins.
0: Twins, yeah. And and I like I've seen it, so it is possible, mm. but I don't think it works for us, unfortunately.
1: But you haven't tried it?
0: Uh, Well, I just I'm assuming not, but I haven't. And also, if I picked up my brother's phone and touched it, he'd murder me.
1: Uh. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I mean, was there any um, did did what what you're doing now? Did that have did your brother have any effect on that? Because you have been in a couple of things. You were in a a essentially digital marketing campaign called CKSK here in Dublin and Mm -hmm. and New York. And then you did uh, was a brand commerce after that?
0: Yeah, brand commerce yeah. still runs as a, an e-commerce business. So, yeah, I, I'm, I started in Dublin with CKSK, mm-hmm. which was, a, I suppose, yeah, an agency slash digital consulting company. Um, we ran that company for 10 and a half, 12 years nearly, mm-hmm. I think, overall. And my co-founder, Simon, continued to run it. Um, and unfortunately, last year it had to uh, wind up um, for mm-hmm. all of the obvious reasons. It's been a, a challenge to keep it running for the last couple of years, mm-hmm. which is disappointing, but it, it exposed us to a huge number of large enterprise companies, both in Ireland, but globally, and the challenges they face with data from a sort of digital transformation perspective and then ongoing governance, uh, which was my first introduction to the issue. Mm. Um, And then over the last couple of years, as it relates to brand commerce, brand commerce is effectively a data capture platform uh, that operates in the e-commerce space. Um, And most of our customers were international and they were deploying in Europe and having challenges with GDPR. Um, And as we looked for solutions That would ensure we were compliant with the way we were capturing and managing data on their behalf. We were candidly just shocked that it was basically hire consultants from a sort of top five consulting firm um, and hope that you were compliant or build technology in-house. And that seemed sort of patently absurd that no one was building a product that effectively inserted privacy by design inside the technology systems. And so to your point, to your question about Damien, so I spoke with Damien at length. Um, over the past sort of year and a half as we've been building Ethica to get his point of view on, how, not necessarily how Twitter thinks about it, but how he views things from a point of view of his relationship with the regulators with the JFTC here in the US and then where sort of regulation goes in the next three years. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's he's pretty positive about relationships with the regulators, as, as I recall. Um, he says there's a decent, certainly here in Ireland anyway, there's a decent working relationship um, here, tw- yeah. t- Twitter Twitter is another company that is in the regulators' crosshairs. But, I mean, there are 18 of them, so um, it's, yeah, by, it's by no means... Uh, a lot, or rather, there are 18 investigations. I think it's five or six different companies. See, Facebook has 12 of them. Of the 18, Facebook has 12. Uh, or rather, Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp. Yeah,
0: so that and, and look, at it, again, nobody. it's... It looks at, uh, I think one of the things that I've often heard from sort of smaller companies is, oh, sure, that's a thing that only affects Facebook. Mm. And if we look back at the history of banking regulation, it was the same. Right when banking regulation came first came in, it was primarily targeting the big banks for. Uh, you know, banking malfeasance, no audit trails, et cetera. But now, things like in the U.S., a seven-year audit trail is a requirement for a community bank or, or you know, what will be equivalent to a credit union, mm-hmm. as much as it is for J.P. Morgan Chase or HSBC. So, the, these things trickle down and affect the entire industry over time.
1: Given that we're in a moment now for data privacy and regulators, and we, we arguably have been for about the three fa- last three or four years, and probably mm-hmm. for the next three or four years, that this will be the hot time for expansion of integrating data privacy uh, tech. So is the plan with Ethic, because essentially what you've built is an API, right?
0: Um, I I'd want to say yes, in that we uh, analogize it to an API, just yeah. to keep it simple. It, it, it's a on-premise infrastructure, that is to be deployed in a customer cloud. So okay. it's a application and services that are installed in, say, for example, you know, Amazon's cloud or mm-hmm. Google cloud or Microsoft Azure um, for a large enterprise. And we have a cloud-based tool that is API-driven for you know, small to medium-sized businesses okay. that need to achieve compliance.
1: Okay. Well, what I was going to ask was that: Do you think this is something that eventually will just become a standardised thing for most companies in the next few years? And that being the case, if so, um, is Ethica's big opportunity really in the next two to three years?
0: Yes, definitely. Um, it, it, I, it's interesting that you say that. You know, privacy has been a hot topic for the last three years. I think in Europe, it has been. And for those U.S. businesses operating in Europe, it has been. I think when we look at the U.S. and other markets outside of Europe, um, privacy is probably only creeping into their purview right now. Even in the U.S., California privacy law comes into effect in January of next year. And that's sort of focusing the mind for corporations here in the way that GDPR did in Ireland a few years ago. Um, And so so, uh, we look at the windows probably maybe five years. um, And our view is precisely, as you've described it, that every organization, large or small, has to comply with data privacy regulations to some very, perhaps, degree of sophistication. And we have a set of tools that achieve that, whatever the stage of the organization. So small business collecting small volumes of data through to very large enterprise managing millions of records. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, well, uh, Killian, I appreciate you coming on the show today. That's about all we have time for. So the very best of luck with uh, Ethica and with uh, maybe someday you will fool Face ID uh, when you and I'll, I'll
0: let you know if it works I'll let you know.
1: <laughs> actually get together to try it um, so that is all we have time exactly. for this week folks it's Adrian Weckler here from the Irish and Sunday Independent Big Tech Show thank you very much for listening please tap like or subscribe on whatever podcast engine you're using and we'll talk to you again next week bye bye